Welcome! You're listening to audio of Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. At ICC, we are being transformed by Jesus to impact our world. Wherever you are as you listen today, we want you to know that we love and appreciate you. We're so glad you're here. We hope today's message will help you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thanks again for joining us. Do y'all know that moment uh, when you were a kid? I know that we have this moment as a parent a lot where like I call Caroline, she's like at the top of stairs and it starts like Caroline and then it's like Caroline and then it's like Caroline and then there's like that nickname or that, that name and if you know like that name is used then you're in big trouble, right? Um, I almost called y'all that name. I was... I'm not, not a bad name, but, you know, just, okay, okay, okay. It's time to start. Um, it's great to see you all this morning. I'm Barrett Bowden, lead pastor here at ICC, and incredibly grateful um, for the opportunity to be together today. Thank you guys, sincerely, from the bottom of my heart for being here. We are uh, in the, well, I guess, third week now of being all together in one worship hour, and it is good. And I am so grateful uh, for the opportunity to just be together as a family and uh, to have this time, special time with God. I want to pray for us as we get started today, and uh, then we will journey forward into this new season together. Father, thank you. Right now, we take a moment to just be still and to know that you are God. Need you. We desire you. We love you. We thank you that in this moment you are more than we need. More than we could ever want. And that you love us even before we have first loved you. Thank you, God, for the sufficiency of who you are and all you've done in Jesus. We're amazed by your grace and kindness to us. All that we have is what we receive. And we thank you, God, that from your fullness we receive grace upon grace. Father, I feel weak this morning, but I thank you that you are strong. Lord, we're here not to hear from a person. We want to hear from you. Lord, I long to be led by you even as I teach, and I just pray that we could sense your presence and your love for us as we spend time together um, with you. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, if you've got your Bible, I would love for you to get it open to a book in the Old Testament That is probably not a book that you open it to very often, uh, but it is the Song of Solomon. Uh, In some Bibles, it's printed the Song of Songs, so don't be confused. It would be the same thing. Some Bibles refer to it as the Song of Solomon, like the ESV, which I'll be using today, or some refer to it as the Song of Songs, but that's where we're going to be today as we begin a new season together and a new series together and a journey through this book called Living Loved. 
Last week, I shared from my heart and from God's heart uh, to you about how God desires for us in this season to worship him. I used a verse last week as I shared from John chapter four, an interaction that Jesus had with a woman who he met there by a well one day. And in that verse, do y'all remember what he described to the woman as she was seeking to understand what it looked like to worship? He said that God desires worshipers who worship him in what? In spirit and in truth. So this morning as we open the word, our heart together is not just to learn the truth of the scripture, although truth is incredibly important. It's a bedrock of our understanding of right knowledge about God. But ultimately, it's not knowledge that we seek, it's God that we seek. And ultimately, we need God to do something more than fill our minds. We need him to touch our hearts and to change us. We long for an experience with God because that was why God created us. And so this morning, I'm just praying that God would grace us with an opportunity to worship him in both spirit and in truth. When I was on sabbatical, um, you're gonna be hearing about sabbatical for a long time. I'm sorry. I'm really not sorry. It's just my life for the last 10 weeks and it feels like more. And it's just, it is what it is. And I described to you last week a journey with God, right? A journey that God had me on with him. And one of the things that I did in preparation for sabbatical was I began to pray and ask God what he would have me to study or to read or to experience while I was with him in the weeks uh, that I had appointed. And one of the things that happened to me, you guys know those moments where the Holy Spirit, it's just like you're in, you, you get overwhelmed, you're like, I'm in the right place at the right time for this particular moment. Y'all ever know what I'm talking about? Where it just things, it feels like things align and you're just like, whoa, like this is kind of overwhelming. Well, one of the things that happened when I was preparing for a sabbatical was I came across this book recommendation. None of my friends had read it. Um, I had never heard it recommended by anyone that I personally knew, never heard it talked about in any way. But yet, there was this moment where I saw the book and I knew, it was one of those moments where I was like, this is it, like I'm supposed to read this particular book. I had no idea anything about it other than at the top was one of my favorite Christian authors um, who just had a quote at the top of it called, it just said, what a remarkable book. That was it. And I was like, sounds good to me. But more than that, it was like, I just knew that this was something that I was supposed to read um, when I was on sabbatical season. And I didn't really know why. I had no idea what it was about. Well, I get to, the book, by the way, uh, was called, and I think we'll have a slide for this, Jesus, Lover of My Soul. It was written by this, this guy named Julian Hardyman, right? Sounds like a hardy man. You know what I'm talking about? That was terrible. <laughs> Sorry. There, there's going to be a lot of dad fail jokes, okay? But um, Jesus, Lover of My Soul. No idea who this author was even. And I get to... Uh, the first days of sabbatical. It was, in fact, the very first day. And 
deep, deep in my heart was longing for God. Deep longing for God. And as I began to open the pages of this book, what I experienced was incredible, incredible times of worship and intimacy with God like maybe I had never experienced before in my life. It was such a time of God meeting me and ministering to me and filling me and healing me and helping me to know new aspects of who he is that felt to me like brand new. I described before like a little child again, just like, whoa, like I can't believe this. And I was so, so helped by the book. The book ended up being, I had no idea when I first opened it, a journey through the Song of Solomon. But in a way that I, it was like, I had never actually read the Song of Solomon before. Y'all know those times where you go back and read something and you're like, did I actually read that before? Like, I had no idea that it was like this. Y'all know what I'm talking about in the Word? And it's just like, whoa. And it was like, for the first time, getting the opportunity to actually understand what the book was all about. But again, more than just an intellectual understanding, it was like, God, I had no idea that this is who you are and this is how you wanted to meet me and for our relationship to be. Well, I finished the book. This was, I was not thinking anything about you guys. I hate to say this. But in the early part of sabbatical, I wasn't thinking about a series. I wasn't thinking about teaching out of it. Nothing at all. I was just so grateful that God had ministered to me. I was so overwhelmed by the book. I did something that I have never, ever done before. Has anybody ever done this? I reached out to the author. Has anybody ever reached out to an author of a book? That is an awkward thing to do. I'm just going to tell you. There's, usually at the end of books, it's not like, hey, if you want to talk, email me. You know, I'd love to be your friend. Um, and, and Julian Hardiman didn't invite me to reach out to him. But I Google stalked him, like all, all of us have done at some point in our lives, so we're not going to judge, okay? Um, I definitely Googled him. I tried to figure out who this guy is, where he was. I figured out where his church was, found out he's a pastor in Cambridge over in the United Kingdom in England. And I email him. And I just said, dear Julian, can we be friends? This book and I described who I was, and I said, more than being a pastor, I just need you to know I've been on a season where I've just been learning again to be a son of God, to be a loved one of God, to be one who is just joyfully saved and amazed at God's grace. And I said, I cannot tell you the invaluable gift that it was to me that you, even for no one else, this completely has changed and bless me and help me in more ways than you can imagine. Well, Julian wrote me back. <laughs> I was like, say what? Authors write back? I was so excited. And it turned out into this email exchange. And I, I have something to tell you guys. Julian Hardiman and I are unexpected pen pals. <laughs> We have emailed back and forth, and I seem to think that we actually both enjoy it very much. Um, 
he has likes me, I certainly like him, and we got to know each other a bit, and one of the things that began to happen was I said, hey, I just want to tell you, not only has this changed me, but I would love opportunity one day to be able to share this with our church family. And I said, How, did you write this book out of something that you shared with your church family, something you preached? And it turned out into this correspondence. The long story short, because y'all are here to hear the word and not my pen, pen pal story. <laughs> but the long story short is that he ended up sharing with me that he had ministered the word that he ended up putting into a book to his church family. And not only did he share with me that he did it, he sent me the entire series. And he just said, this is how we did it. And he said, this is, he said basically, it, this is what discipleship is all about. Nobody owns the right to scripture. Nobody owns the right to faithful interpretation of scripture. When we discover Jesus, the natural thing to do, which is one of our measures, expanding discipleship, the natural thing to do is to share that freely with others so that they can discover Jesus too. But how rare and beautiful it is to find a guy like Julian Hardiman in the United Kingdom. Because most people would say, well, for the right price of $99.95, I will send you my outlines. You know what I'm saying? And there's nothing wrong with needing to have a living but I just want to say how grateful I am for such a kingdom-oriented man and Julian. Well, when I came back from sabbatical and we began processing with the elder team about this upcoming season, I shared with them one of the things that was on my heart was the desire to eventually, maybe one day, even this year perhaps, share from this book of what God had taught me to share that with you. And there was overwhelming sense of affirmation that it wouldn't be later this year, the time was now. <laughs> And so here we are at the start of this journey of the Song of Solomon. And I could not be more excited for the journey that we have. And um, this morning, if you've got something to write with, um, I, I would encourage you to try to take notes as we journey through. The thing that most overwhelmed me, okay, I'll put up a quote from the song, chapter 2, verse 14. You can look there in your scripture if you want to. It's not where we're going to be starting to study today, but I want to just give you a peek into what is ahead for us in this journey. In song, chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face and let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. One of the things that so overwhelmed me in this past season as I have personally journeyed through this book is understanding more of God's desire for me. And this morning I'm here to say God has the great lover of your soul speaks to you, cries out to you from the pages of the scripture that he has written for you to know him. And he says, I want you. My desire is for you. Yes, our desire is for God, but we also have to understand that his desire is for us. 
And I believe in this season ahead that God wants you to hear him cry out toward you. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. And I pray that like I did when I had everything stripped from me in the sabbatical season and just had a single pursuit of God that like the psalmist in Psalm 27 for that we would cry back to God. I think there's a slide. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. In other words, that there would be this beautiful growth of intimacy in this season between you and the Lord. That is my prayer. That is our prayer as an elder team for you today. That is God's prayer for you. That in this season ahead, and maybe even right now, there's a prayers that begin to be prayed in your heart. Oh God, would you help me in this season ahead to long for you and to know more of your longing for me? That there would be a growth of intimacy, a growth of beautiful personal relationship as I learned more of how to be loved by you and more of how to love you as I am loved by you. That is the heart for you in this season ahead. This morning, um, we're going to be basically just doing a little intro. And I want to talk to you this morning about desire. And we're going to look at the first four verses of chapter one, okay? So if you've got your Bible... Song of Solomon, we're going to be in the first four verses of chapter one. We're basically only going to just do three basic things this morning, and I hope that's okay. If you wanted four or five, you can come and talk to me after. I'd be glad to stay and talk, all right? But this morning, three basic things. One is we're going to be looking at what the Song of Solomon is. Second, we're going to be looking at what the Song of Solomon does. And third, we're going to be just looking at how the Song of Solomon starts. What it is, what it does, and how it starts. What it is, we'll start there really briefly. If you look at verse one in your Bibles of the song, it says, the song of songs, which is Solomon's, all right? So if you wanna know how we title books in the Bible, pretty easy, a lot of times they title themselves, okay? The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. I'll start by just saying, as we think about what the book is, all right, it's a book that obviously has to do with Solomon. Now, if you know anything about biblical history, then you're probably remembering that Solomon is David's son, all right? So King David, who we studied about in just some recent season in First and Second Samuel, King David, one of his sons was Solomon, and Solomon went on to be the future heir to the throne, he became king after David. And so this song is immediately identified with Solomon. Now we don't know, did Solomon write the book? Is it about Solomon? 
Or is it somehow related to Solomon's approach to life or to love? We're not exactly sure. But what we do know is it's definitely about Solomon. Now, the other thing that you can see here in the first verse that's really important to see is that it's a song, okay? A song of songs. Now, the reason that this is important is because as we go through the book, you're going to have to remember that this book is poetry. By the way, if you want to listen to the book, and I encourage you to think about doing it, you can go on Bible Gateway or maybe other, some other app that you have, uh, version or something like that. You can listen to the entire song in about 18 minutes, okay? It would be helpful, perhaps, to listen to it as a song. If you go on Spotify, you can actually find people who have set, we don't have the original music to the song, we just have the words, but you can find people who have actually set the entire Song of Solomon to music, like contemporary music, and you can listen to it in that way. It is a song. It's poetry. Anybody here like poetry? Okay, that says a lot about the kind of church that we have. Bunch of academics. Good gracious. Um, I am personally one who I, I enjoy a lot of things. I am not um, naturally that drawn. Sometimes it takes me longer. Okay, let me just say that. It takes me longer. When I read a poem, I'm like, huh? And I go back. It's like the same experience for me going to, uh, anybody ever been to a museum of modern art? And you look at a painting on the wall, and some might look at it, and you go, that's just paint splashed on a piece of canvas. How is that worth $4 million? I'm I'm not exactly sure how this guy got famous, but it, it's not about the paint splashed on canvas. My wife, Robbie has also done this with me, they'll come up to me and they say, but how does it make you feel? <laughs> I'm like, how does it make me feel? It makes me feel like a kindergartner was here. I mean, I don't know how it makes me feel. It makes me feel unnerved. It's just splashed up, but, but look at that. Look at the colors and the way it's... Okay, so I, I have to stand there a little bit longer. Anybody with me with poetry or art like that? It's a little bit abstract, and you have to stand there a little bit longer to really get what's going on. Because at the end of the day, what we have to understand about the Song of Solomon, it's poetry, which means it's not as much about what it teaches as much as what it invokes, Okay? Now, I'm not trying to say it doesn't teach something. Of course, it does teach something. But if you use the Song of Solomon to be a book just about how to get married, how to get a good fiance, how to have amazing sex, how to handle betrayals or breakups, if you're using it to be a book, like an instruction manual, listen, if God wanted to give you an instruction manual on how to get married, how to get engaged, how to have amazing sex, he could have written you a book in prose. God could do that, right? And there's other places in Scripture where he does provide those kinds of explanations. But we have to remember with this book that we, we're, we're dealing with a song, something that is immersed in emotion, deep feeling. And we've got to lean in to some of the way that the book makes us 
feel some of the emotions that are expressed between the, the characters of the book, this man and this woman and this company of people that have the opportunity to, to be let in into their relationship and us being let into a relationship. We've got to be sensitive to what it's trying to invoke, how it is trying to help us understand something about the nature of a relationship of love, okay? Really important. The other thing for those who are linear thinkers, anybody in the room a linear thinker? This book is not linear. It's gonna drive you nuts. It's kind of circular. It's kind of like that abstract art piece or that poem where Yes, there are some key events in the book. They get together and there's engagement and a, a marriage and a consummation of that marriage. But by the end of the book, it feels like you're back at the beginning of the book. And it's quite circular. And we're going to have to roll with it, okay? Because again, what is it? It's a song. It's a song. All right. What it does. First of all, we talked about what it is, but second of all, what it does. Now, one of the things that you have to understand about the book is that some of you, how many of you, when you first heard last week me say, we're going through the Song of Solomon, thought, ooh. <laughs> because in your mind, you were like, that's got sex in it. I heard that they talk about things that, you know what I'm saying, like, people don't really talk. Anybody, anybody think that? Come on, y'all, be honest. Don't leave me hanging. Okay, I'll just be, I'll dip out of my own bucket here. When I first think of, have thought of the Song of Solomon, which is why I told you last week, I had never even gotten close to preaching this with a 10-foot pole. Because I was scared out of my mind to have to preach through verses in this song that are quite, shall we say, erotic. Things that are in ways like, oh, I don't know what to do with that during Sunday morning worship. You know what I'm saying? Just if, if y'all aren't laughing, then you obviously haven't read the book, okay? <laughs> read the book and you'll be like, Pastor Barrett's going to preach through that? Y'all going to be here this spring, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I know there's going to be people mapping out the book like, ooh, he's about to get to the breast part. And what do you do with that? Okay? So, we're all adults here. Let's just get it out of the way. It's awkward at times. Now, there is no doubt, there is no doubt, okay, that the book does hit on key themes, Right? One of the big themes is our need for intimacy. The book hits on that. You and I are made for relational intimacy. We are. And it's one of the key themes of the book. This intimacy that's experienced human to human, lover to lover, it's undeniable in the book. And it it's, it's obvious that there are lessons for us in terms of just understanding how we're made and what it looks like to be a human and to have a need for close relationship with other people and yes, even to have a desire for a romantic partner, to even have a desire for sexual relationship. 
It's not just need for intimacy, but there's a particular way that the book helps us understand it. And it's this. The book helps us experience joy in finding intimacy in the relationship of marriage. That is a big part of what the book is about. It's not just about uh, some girlfriend and some boyfriend who are hooking up. No, it's about a man who falls in love with a woman and chooses to covenant himself with her in marriage and begin relationship with t- together, close relationship, a committed relationship, a joyful relationship, a sexual relationship, an exclusive relationship in the relationship of marriage. And the book paints this picture for us of this joy, joy, like it is awesome. Marriage is great. It's not like some people say, oh, you know, you got to go on your bachelor party. It's the last day of freedom. You're going to get that ball and chain strapped to your foot. As soon as you get married, enjoy your last night. Y'all ever heard that or something? You know, It's not like that. The Bible paints a very different picture of marriage. And we live in a day culturally where less and less people are seeing marriage for what it is. It is a good gift of God. It is not something that you have to be afraid of. It is a good thing, and it can be a joyful thing when it's done in that context of God's design. So sure, the book paints this amazing picture of intimacy and even the joy of intimacy in the context of the relationship of marriage. But one of the things that has blown my mind in the last few months is that God has helped me see something more than what I just described to you that is kind of obvious, which is why we all kind of giggle on the surface. If you look back at chapter one, verse one, I wanna help you see something that may not be as obvious because we just are so familiar with the title of the book. What is the book called? The Song of Songs, right? The Song of songs. It's kind of like, um, you remember the holy place in the tabernacle? What was it called? The holy of holies. Sometimes in our common language we'll say, that is the best of the best, right? In other words, this song is labeled in the Bible as having won a Grammy. (laughs) When this song got written, they said, This is the best song that has ever been written. This is not just a song. This is not just a song like any of the other songs in the Bible. This is the song of... All right, let's try again. This is the song... Y'all be an announcer with me, okay, at the Grammys. This is the song of songs. Whoa! This This is the pinnacle. This is the best, best song that's ever been. Look at it in the scripture, how it's labeled. The song of song, the greatest of all songs. Now, I got a problem though. Because if I label this the greatest of all songs, and yet this song is just about human relationships, And the covenant of marriage? 
How does that square with what we know the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches us that our hearts are made for more than to be filled by other people. And the Bible teaches us that marriage is not the climax of relationship. If you're a single person in this room, whether you're in a present season of singleness, hoping to be married but not yet, or maybe called to singleness, choosing that, happy in that, I do not want for you for a moment to think that this book is about painting a picture of something that you cannot have. That would be absolutely cruel. This book (laughs) has got to be about something more than human relationship. Otherwise, this book would be idolatrous, especially labeling it the song of all songs. So, we got to ask ourselves, what is this book ultimately about? Sure, it's got themes of intimacy and human relationship. Sure, it's got themes of joy found in the covenant commitment of marriage. But friends, this song is about something more. And when you begin to see it, it transforms everything about how you approach this scripture. And suddenly it doesn't have to be as giggly (laughs) because it's about something more than just what's going on between a man and a woman in romance. Ultimately, friends, this song is about Jesus and you. This is a song about Jesus and you. Now you go, whoa, wait a second. Pastor Barrett, you cannot be telling me that this song, I've read it. There ain't no way this song with all of its highs and lows, with all of its descriptive language, with all of its pictures of romances about Jesus and me. And I go, "Mm, yeah, it is. Because you don't have to take my word for it. Remember when Jesus, Luke chapter 24, y'all remember when he showed up after he had been resurrected from the grave? And he's walking with two on the road to Emmaus. And you remember he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In other words, wouldn't you have loved to have been there that day with Jesus as he started from Genesis and he went through and he said, don't you know that all of this, all of it was ultimately about me? All of it was a signpost along the way to help you know more of who I am and more of my heart for you. And Jesus that day sat and explained how all of it fulfilled in himself. Does that include the Song of Songs? Why, yes, it does. It does. Something that we all have to understand is that The theme of Jesus being the lover of our souls is not isolated to the song of songs. I want to take you real quick, okay? If you're taking notes this morning, I would highly encourage you to write down some of the references I'm about to give you. Because 
I know here at the beginning of this book that we've got to lay a solid foundation. We have thinkers in this church. I am so grateful. We have seekers in this church. We have students of the scripture in this church. And I know that there's going to be some questions because it's such an unusual thought for some of us to be like, wait, wait, you're saying the voice of the lover is the voice of Jesus. Yes, I'm saying that. I'm saying ultimately this book is about more than just a man and a woman. This is about Jesus and us. And you go, how do we know that for sure? And I go, well, it's not just a theme right here. It's a theme in, in other places in Scripture. All of the created world, friends, all of the created world, shouts to us of deeper spiritual realities. Did y'all know that? The way that God made everything he made everything, the way that clouds move through the sky, the way the Mississippi River runs down here past Memphis, the way that birds fly, uh, the way that mountains soar into the air and are so majestic and are so stable and secure, the way that he has designed even the institution of marriage, which, by the way, was not man's idea first, it was God's idea, okay? All of it, is meant to help us know something beneath the surface, something deeper, something spiritual, something real about God. And this marital imagery of Jesus and us is no different. So basically, God, when he created us, he designed us to have the capacity to understand the kind of intimacy of relationship between a man and a woman who are committed together in a joy-filled relationship for life. He made us with a capacity to understand that. And in doing that, he's using that understanding that we have to basically help us understand something more true and more real than even a husband and a wife in marriage relationship. And that is a relationship that he wants to have with us. So the picture throughout the Bible is Jesus is pictured as a lover, as a bridegroom, as the husband. And we are pictured as the recipient of that love, the beloved, as the one who has been asked into a relationship who has been invited into that kind of joy-filled intimacy with another, a bride, and one who is joyfully and willingly submitted and committed in that relationship as a wife. That's the picture we see in Scripture. And in giving us that picture, here's what happens. The marital imagery is such that it shows us in concrete ways that he is love. Um, I know as a kid, did y'all ever sing, Jesus loves me? Can y'all sing it with me? This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Here we go. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. 
Yes, Jesus loves me, for the Bible tells me so. That was great, you guys. What a beautiful song, right? Jesus loves me. I learned it as a kid. But it's one thing to conceptually understand that. And to even say, well, how do you know Jesus loves me? Well, the Bible tells me so. But it's another thing for us as we grow and mature in relationship and life to really wonder, how does he love me? To long for deeper understanding of what that love is really like, to experience it in deeper and more joy-filled and intimate ways. And one of the things that God does to help us is he goes, hey, hey, you know when you go to the wedding and you, and you stand or you sit there and you watch as the groom's standing up front? I was at one last weekend, you guys, Matt Meredith, and he stood there. I've never seen a more emotional, I, I think, entrance of the bride. I mean, all of a sudden you could just see him. You know, he's starting to, <laughs> and tears welling up in his eyes. And he's, you know, he's trying to be cool. All the cameras are getting pictures, but he can't help. He's He's got a sight of his bride. And he doesn't care that there's hundreds of people in the room. He just locks eyes with her. And here she comes around the corner, and she is radiant. And she is clothed in the most beautiful white dress. And she comes beaming down the aisle as if nobody else is in the room. And she makes a beeline straight for him. And they embrace, and they commit to one another, and they kiss. And it's, everybody in the room is like, oh, you know what I'm saying? God gives us that picture as a gift to help us understand he's the groom at the front and we're the bride clothed in garments of his righteousness and he loves to see us moving toward him. And he loves to see us lock eyes with him and believe that he's serious about his love and respond to his love by loving him in return and move toward him with radiance and to lock arms with him and unite with him and embrace and enjoy him. Okay, I'm just using that one picture of just the wedding day. There's a million pictures we can think about as we see how marriage plays out over time with its joy and its faithfulness and its maturity. We could just say, wow, thank you God for giving us this picture because it's not just a child song, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. Now I'm beginning to grow in understanding of what it's like to know you as my lover and what it's like to grow in a love relationship with you. What a gift that this imagery is. The Bible is filled with all kinds of imagery, gardener or father or a vine dresser or a rock and a refuge. He gives us tons of imagery. But we have to embrace that this is not imagery that we are coming up with to assign to the Song of Solomon. This is imagery the Bible tells us, God gives us in his word, this is true about who God is. So to see it in the Song of Solomon is faithful. I'm gonna give you a quick rundown of some other scriptures. Isaiah 54 verse five it's other places in the scripture from the very beginning, Genesis, in his creation of marriage, it was God's idea, even here now to Isaiah 54, for your maker, God says to his people, is your who? Your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. God's saying, I want you to know 
I betrothed myself to you. I love you like a husband. In Isaiah chapter 62, verse 5, For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. How unbelievable is that? It's a picture of salvation. As Matt rejoiced over Anna, oh, so shall I rejoice over you. Do you see the picture that God is giving us of who he is and how he loves us? Jeremiah chapter 3, in moments of unfaithfulness, of sin and rebellion against the Lord. God uses the imagery, surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so have you been treacherous to me, O house of Jacob. He's helping them see the kind of relationship that he desires as one of faithfulness, but he uses the imagery of marriage. You go to the New Testament and you see Jesus coming onto the scene, Matthew chapter nine, verse 15, God continuing to speak, comparing the kingdom can, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, comparing himself to the bridegroom? In Matthew chapter 22, verse 1, comparing the kingdom of heaven to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And another place, Matthew chapter 25, another parable, comparing the kingdom like 10 virgins who took their lamps and they went to meet who? The bridegroom. He's talking about himself. Then you get over to Ephesians. This is the passage that I read at most of the weddings. If I ever have the joy or one of our elders officiating your wedding, you may hear this passage. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Paul says in the letter to Ephesus, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now listen to this. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In other words, what he's saying here is when you look at marriage, you gotta know there's something so much more going on than just a man and a woman getting together. Look at even your capacity, your desire for romance, your capacity for romance, your capacity for courtship and dating and engagement and marriage and all that comes after. All of it is profound. All of it is like a window display that's meant to lead you inside the store. Don't just stay outside and look at the windows. Come in. The window is marriage, but the substance not saying marriage is not good, but it's not everything. What God is getting our attention to, if you can understand love and intimacy and commitment and joy and union like that, how much more can you understand what I have in store for you? Because I am the true lover of your souls.
Do you see? All of it pointing to something deeper. And then the end of all things in Revelation chapter 19, and this is the last verse I'll give you. Revelation chapter 19. We get to a picture of heaven, and it says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God reigns. And then let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Y'all know that moment at a wedding? Y'all ever been to a wedding? And at the end of the wedding, usually it's somebody like me standing up front, super goofy. Everybody has left us by this point. I mean, everybody. The bride and groom left. The whole wedding party left. The parents left. And we're just standing up there by ourselves like this. And then there comes a point at which we lock eyes with you if you're in the audience. And we're like, what do we do now? And usually, the officiant will have some instruction that's been given to him by the bride and groom. We invite you to stay for a party. Thanks to whoever it was that paid for it, okay? And at that point, you're like, okay, where is that? You know, how do I get there? When's it going to start? And we all hang out, and there's a celebration. The picture of heaven is a picture of a reception at a wedding. This union has just happened. It is beautiful, and it's good, and it's wonderful. But don't you leave yet, because there's going to be a party, a celebration of all that has happened. That's the picture God gives us of heaven. Do you see the metaphors all through the scripture? So what I'm trying to go back to here is under, help you understand that this picture of Jesus as the lover, as the bridegroom, the husband, and us as the beloved, the bride, the wife, is a picture that's all through scripture. It's a picture that's meant to show us in concrete ways that he is love and that he loves us. Here's really... Before I move to number three and I close, here's, here's what you got to understand. It's what this book is all about. It's what this season is all about. It's God's heart. Hear his heart. I love you. I love you. No, 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 no. Don't just sing the song and look away from my eyes. This is, I'm giving voice to God here, right? Yeah, 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 I know, I know. No, 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 look at me. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Don't you know how much I love you? I love you. And in this book, we're going to have this incredible opportunity to know our God, who is love, but not just in generalities, in personal ways, to know that God loves us. He loves us, he loves us, he loves us, and to be invited to respond to his love with love in return, and to grow and love relationship with him, that is what it's all about. And don't think that just because you know the children's song that you've arrived. I feel still like a child. I've only just begun. 
And I believe that you have too. I want to close this morning by just looking at these first few verses. And I do mean close because I mainly want to leave you with something this morning to cause you to think this week. If you look at the scripture, one of the things that we discover, let's just go ahead real quick and read verses two, three, and four. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Verse 4. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. This girl here wants her man. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And she ain't wanting to go have an inductive Bible study with him. All right? That's, that's not the picture we get here. She's wanting kisses. Okay? I hear the giggles. They start. Okay? She's wanting intimacy with him. Let me kiss him with the kisses of his mouth. What we see here at the start of this book is an introduction of a core theme of our existence, and that is longing and desire. Sometimes in Christian circles, I don't know about you, but I know myself, it can almost be like this. We don't talk about sex, 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 sex. We don't, I'm, I'm using, we don't talk about Bruno, if you didn't understand it. Okay, it was bad. We don't talk about desire, 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 desire. And it's almost like you get into Christian circles and there's this thought of like, we just have to suppress that. Like, that's bad. Like, desire is bad. Desire for romance or desire for marriage or desire for sex. Like, that's got to be something that we just do away with. It's not, we got to suppress the longing. And yet... What ends up happening is, if we don't talk about it in the context of the gospel, in the context of the church, we end up going other places to see those desires fulfilled because those are real desires that we have and they need an outlet somewhere. So the question is, where are we going to have an outlet for them if we never talk about how God has put these desires in our hearts and what are they for? We need to talk about longing and desire because they are so core to who we are, Adele, in her most recent, to be loved and to love at the highest count. I'm not going to do the rest, okay? <laughs> Y'all give me some credit. That was not bad. It's not bad. This longing, this longing for love. But really... These desires are given to us by God. And here's what they point to. You are incomplete. And you want more. 
And this desire is not bad, okay? It's good. The, the feeling that we need more, that we want more, is not bad, it's good. And let me tell you why it's good. I think there's a slide here we can put up. It helps us see our need for this. Next slide. That the completion of ourselves has to come from beyond ourselves. The fact that all of us know that we want more, that there's something that we need, more, the longing that we have, the desire that we have, is a signpost to us that there is something that needs to be completed within us, but that something has to come from outside of us. And that is the space that God has made in our hearts for himself. So when the song opens... And you hear, like in verse 4, draw me after you. Let us run. When you hear, like in verse 3, your love is better than wine. I don't know about you. What is the best thing that you have ever experienced? The very best thing, the best meal, or the best location, or vacation, or whatever it is. What is the best thing you've ever experienced? What would it be like for you to put into your own words, your love is better than that? And for you to know that even when you experience that thing, that's why celebrities and athletes, they get to the pinnacle and they still want more because there's something else out there. What we're hearing here is a desire that ultimately, friends, is given to us by God, but meant to be fulfilled in us only by God by Jesus himself. Psalm 73 speaks, Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is none I desire besides you. A desire for God. I want to leave you this morning with a question that I want you to ponder this week. What do you do with your desires? Do you suppress them? Do you find outlets for them that are the things God desires or perhaps not the things God desires? Are you honest about your desires, your needs, your longings? It's a prayer that I want to challenge you to consider praying this week. It's modified from a prayer that Julian Hardiman includes in his book. It goes like this, God, I want to offer you the whole of who I am, including my capacity for desire. Thank you, God. And I'm beginning to hear, maybe even today it's the first time where maybe the Spirit of God is leading you into some place of depth and intimacy that he hasn't before. But God, I thank you that I know that ultimately you are 
the ultimate desirable one. God, will you show me more of what it means for all of my desires to be fulfilled in your love? This week, I want you to spend some time with God offering your desires to him and believing that truly he is the ultimate desirable one, the great lover of your soul. We're gonna move into a time of response now and I wanna pray, but we're just gonna sing some songs to God. And even now, during this time of response, this is time for you to even continue to pray that prayer. Just to be honest with God, God, I, I, want to, I want to know, God, what it's like to live fully who I am and to offer all of my heart, my desire, my longings to you. And God, I'm willing, I'm desirous even for you to so fill my heart with your love that I know that I know that I know there's nothing more than I could want or need other than who you are and what you provide. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And I wonder right now, like the woman in the song, if you could just say, hey, come. Draw me. Jesus, would you just draw me? Draw me into the place of intimacy with you. Oh, Jesus, would you just love on me? I just want to be honest. I just need to be loved, Jesus. And I just have been looking for it other places. But God, ultimately, I know what I'm looking for is you. Oh, Jesus, would you just love on me? Would you just meet my needs? Would you just be with me? Would you fill me? Would you care for me? Lead me, Jesus. Draw me. Call me out. Lead me close. Today you can do that, whether it's the first time or something, or some renewal that God is wanting to do, let's just, as we worship today, respond to him. If you want to know about how you can have a relationship with Jesus, or have somebody pray for you, come front, there's prayer counselors will be here, but let's just worship and enjoy being with God, just enjoy the presence of God, and enjoy being loved by God as we offer our desire to him. Thank you again for joining us for today's Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis. We want to encourage you to join us in person for worship soon. No podcast can ever replace the good design of God in gathering in person with other believers for worship in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with ICC, you can visit us at iccmemphis.com. As we close, we offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15:13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Thanks again for joining us.